Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater, the podcast uh, and YouTube channel dedicated to like a book club for movies and TV shows. Today we're doing a review of Nightcrawler starring Jake Gyllenhaal. If you're enjoying this content, want to watch it live, you can always go to repeattheaterlive.com. Subscribe in the bell button so you don't miss these Monday through Thursday around 3 p.m. Eastern. If you're enjoying the audio versions and you want to support directly or join in VIP call-ins or something, you can go to repeattheater.com to go to the Patreon. So Repeat Theater Live brings you to the YouTube, but repeattheater.com will take you to the Patreon. So uh, next week, it'll be Hot Fuzz. This was a wild card pick. Wednesdays is wild card Wednesdays, and this was a wild card viewer pick for Nightcrawler, and next week, we'll be talking about Hot Fuzz. Uh, This one was one I thankfully had missed it. I never watched it. I remembered wanting to watch it. I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I enjoy him a lot, and in this movie, he certainly delivers a great, great performance i can highly recommend this movie i I thoroughly enjoyed it i don't give i don't give movies like a score or a number but i will tell you whether or not i recommend them and in this case i I can very very highly recommend this movie i enjoyed it a lot Uh, it's it's very very well done from the very beginning you can tell it's it's an artistically driven movie it's almost a subversive way of creating this contrast of what he's filming to what they show you in the beginning these big nice shots of the city and skylines and in and, and, and the sky itself and they do it with like really good music it, it kind of reminded me of explosions in the sky music and that serves as a really really good I guess I would say juxtaposition against the type of camera and footage work that he's going to be filming in the movie starts out very pristine and cool, and then immediately it's not like that. It's a very, very quick start. You can see that this guy's unpredictable. He's a bit of a scumbag. You know, he's stealing, and then he beats up some security guard uh, and takes his watch. And the interesting thing is, if you really analyze his exchange with the security guard, it almost seems as if he was going to abide and hand him the thing and then leave, but the watch is what motivated him to beat up the guard. It wasn't for survival. It wasn't so he could get out of there. He sees the watch, and that's kind of the reason that he does it, because at his heart, he's a thief, and you're going to see that theme throughout the entire movie. Uh, his eyes and the way he speaks and the way he emotes is eerie. It's almost alien. It's it's like he's not like uh, other people. He's very very uh, almost disconnected. You know when he, the guy's like, "I'm not gonna hire a thief," and he kind of like points at him and smiles. You know, I don't know. There's something. It's like he's disconnected from reality. Uh, very dissociative in that way, which makes him captivating as a character. You're just you're not sure what he's gonna do or where uh, where he's gonna go. When he gets his first sort of experience of you know shooting with a camera, an accident or something, the guy says, "If it bleeds, it leads," and that permeates as a theme throughout the rest of his experience and what he does with sort of trying to build his business and wanting to get into this line of work. If you really analyze his his behavior and what he does throughout the movie, he is basically a sponge. He absorbs what's around him. Uh, there's items to steal, ideas to use, and pictures to take. That's like I think a really good way of sort of describing his presence in the movie is one where he takes and absorbs uh, the, the watch, the ideas about you know, oh this would be a great great business. But then he's also filming this voyeuristic sort of oh here's somebody who's died, you know. And, it, and he sells it to the news stations. And 
that character arc is very, very prevalent throughout the entire movie. His footage uh, is visceral, it's cold, it's calculated, you know, and and he's 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 con- he's using that. I mean, that's essentially what gets him into this line of work is that first footage that he gets of that victim. He he actually gets too close and gets him kicked out, but the footage is just very very visceral. It's very very cold, and then the way they're talking about it at the news station, they like him, are very disconnected from reality. I think this is potentially one of the themes you're supposed to pick up on. It's like, that's why he falls into this line of work so well, is that he's very disconnected from the world around him. Uh, even when he kind of goes through this interview process, he, you know, with the guy that's going to help him, you know, his assistant, he's already posturing and adapting. He's sort of taking on this this identity and this mantra of this business owner and the language that he uses. It's it's very, very clear. He, again, is a sponge. He's absorbing and taking from what's around him and using it uh, to his advantage. His business plan speech is captivating when he talks about his business plan. I I think there's something really eerie about the corporate language that he uses, and yet he's such a maniacal sort of sadistic person like he's planning and he's calculated and he's cold and yet he uses very intelligent corporate driven language in his business plan speech was one of the best examples of that uh then you begin to see the turn and the compromise when he moves a dead body because of the art he wants the shot to be good and he gets there before the cops and he moves a body to make the camera shot better at that point he is completely detaching from the gravity of what he's filming it is now a means to an end they are the muse they are the subject of his art and what he's attempting to do and he's he takes so much pride in his work it overrides any sense of decency he has left as he moves the body of a dead man to make the camera shot better um the date that he goes on with the woman from the news station it's got to be, I think, one of the other really, really well-framed, written, and acted scenes. He was so meticulous. It was chilling how calculated he was in trying to sort of pressure this woman into a relationship with him. It was it was terrifying because there was... And this is what was so well done in the movie is he is absolutely terrifying and scary and there's nothing about him that comes across as as violent or mean or strong it's all in the way that he handles situations the way that he sort of controls and plans he is very very uh psychopathic uh in the way that he 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 deals with her and i absolutely uh loved it and then the mirror scream, you get a glimpse into the dark side of him. You know it's there. You know it's there. But he's always so co- calm and composed, and he's always so you know in control of the conversation. But then when he yells in the mirror, you see a, a very, very clear, dark and evil side of him as if the veil gets lifted for just a moment, for just a second. Filming the other camera guy uh, when he gets injured... This is, this is where you might not have picked up on it, and I noticed this, and I think this was very, very intentional because it shows up later as well. So now, he compromises to make the artwork better, but then he compromises to make his, his, 
advantages better. He essentially messes with the guy's van, the guy wrecks, and now the guy is a part of the art. It's like he consumed him as well. He he used him and soaked him in like a sponge, and now he's a part of, of uh, you know, he's filming him. And when he does that, when he films him, they intentionally make you see the watch on his wrist. He still has the watch from the very opening scene where he beats up the guard. And I think that was really intentional. They wanted it to be very, very clear that this guy is still that dark thief from the beginning. It's another moment where he's stealing from another person and he holds no regard for their well-being. He doesn't care. Whether it's a watch or whether it's a career opportunity, he'll take you out if he needs to. The, the, the guy could have died. Thankfully, you know, he didn't in the movie. He, he just got, you know, severely injured. Um... When he lists his demands, because he wants the 15,000 for the footage, and he lists his demands, it's another moment where he is so fiercely well-spoken and so calculated and so precise, he again is just so captivating. There's no music. There's nothing happening. He is simply listing off demands that are then a moment later honored. He immediately gets it. Again, the corporate language when negotiating uh, is just absolutely wonderful. When he negotiates the raise with his with his uh, assistant, again, the corporate language comes in. He's, seen, he's talking like you hear like CEOs and managers talk. And that's really, really, I think a great layer of this guy is absolutely nuts he thinks he's this legitimate businessman it kind of reminded me of Dexter a little bit like having a cop who's a serial killer and this guy's basically a business owner who's who's just absolutely uh, nuts um and this, and this is when you don't get a lot of commentary about what he thinks about people or the depth of his sort of, he's so dissociate, he dissociates from people and reality. He's not connected. He basically says, it's not that I don't understand, but that I don't like them. And this is where I think there's almost maybe a threat of, of arrogance or hubris. Um, it's not narcissism. It, it's almost like he sees that he's above people. He doesn't like them. They're merely here for his artwork. They're here to be consumed and filmed, whether they're dead or dying. It doesn't matter to him. He he doesn't like people, and so he sort of dis, dis, disassociates himself from being another. He, he does almost. It's almost like he doesn't even view himself as human. He views himself as something else. Um, the diner setup that was so normal, but incredibly tense I think the directors did such a wonderful job here it's literally just some people sitting in a diner and the setup is just dialogue there's not like this music this swell of intensity they don't even let you really hear what's going on in the diner we're outside of it they're not, they're, we're not in there with conversation or any any sort of villainous intensity it's literally just a normal diner on a corner but it is incredibly intense it's nerve wracking you're like oh my gosh what is going to happen suddenly that his partner sees him for who he is and what he's truly setting up. It's like he doesn't care that people are going to die. He's like, dude, there are people in there. This isn't about two evil people getting in a shootout. There are, there's bystanders. Uh, and that sort of is the beginning of the end, I think, of, of, his, uh, of his partner because the car chase and the, fu- the, the, the finality of the moment when they finally get the guy and the guy climbs out he lets his employee die for business reasons that i it wasn't even like a malicious moment the consistency of his character was one of my favorite things he goes up films his dying 
partner, his dying partner, and he essentially gives him business reasons. He's like, you took away my negotiating power. And like, that's why he lets him die. He says, oh yeah, he's dead. And he lets the bad guy shoot his partner. And then in the end, he, he, he has his business. He gets what he wants. Again, he's a thief. He absorbs the things around him. From the watch to the business at the end with the vans, he gets everything that he wants through vicious, pure business calculation. It has nothing to do with people. And the watch makes an appearance again at the end, just showing he hasn't changed a bit, whether it's the watch or the vans or the ideas or the moments that he steals on camera. It's all, I think, a form of, of, of stealing. Now, I don't know how much social commentary is woven into there. I think we're going to get into that in the Q&A. Maybe the directors and the writers are essentially saying the reason he was so good at this and the reason he's so okay with it is because this sort of voyeurism and filming people that are hurt and then selling it is a form of, of, of thiev- thievery. It's you're stealing uh, and, and, and making money off of it and profiteering off of it. So excellent, excellent movie. Next week, we'll be talking about Hot Fuzz for the wild card pick on Wednesday. If you like this content, go to repeattheaterlive.com, subscribe to the YouTube, or go to repeattheater.com and do a Patreon and get in the Discord, be part of the conversation, the Q&A. As always, we're going to go to Q&A next, seeing some good questions. If you're listening to this elsewhere, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater, uh, the podcast and YouTube channel where we treat movies and TV shows kind of like a book club where we watch them in advance and discuss them. This is going to be the Q&A session that followed my review of Nightcrawler starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Every Wednesday is a wild card pick, and this was something that a viewer selected. Next week is Hot Fuzz. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify, you can always catch us live at repeattheaterlive.com or support as a patron and get on VIP calls or question and answer sessions by going to repeattheater.com and becoming a patron. The first question coming in from Agent Atwood. During the film, I kind of had a similar vibe as I did of Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker, uh, especially when it showed Jake Gyllenhaal starting to go insane, like the mirror-breaking scene. Did you feel the same? I think there are similar themes, yes, that you have someone that is so disconnected from the world around them. It, it, with The Joker, Joaquin's character... There was more of a sadness and a brokenness, but it still made him operate on another level. He operated somewhere. It was like he existed somewhere else. I think the difference I would say, though, with Nightcrawler, and I kind of get into this at the end, I feel like Joaquin, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, he viewed himself as, as above humans. They were simply there to be used. The, the newswoman didn't matter. He just wanted to use her. He wanted a physical relationship with her, and that was it. That's all he wanted from her. He liked older women. Again, he's speaking very objectively, like you're just an object. Um, the fact that he had zero problem uh, filming dead or injured, maimed people. It was, to him, humans were beneath him. And he even said, it's not that he doesn't understand humans, that he doesn't like them. There's a dismissive arrogance there. There's a, again, a little bit of hubris, just this overwhelming amount of confidence and arrogance that just, these people are just here to to, to either uh, be used for gain or used for ideas or items or, or, or satisfaction. I mean, we could really, really break it down into categories, right? He, he used people for material gain, the watch. He used people for, uh, business growth 
the the, the filming of people. He used people for business uh, advantage, where he eliminates the guy, you know, with the van accident. He uses people for physical uh, satisfaction. The 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 new the, the woman from the news station. So. Everything that like a person needs or wants in life, material things, uh, growth, power, and influence, and physical affection, those are kind of like the categories we fall into. He's just like, at every layer, people are here to get him those things. You're here, your watch, take it. Your vans, cool idea, boom, you're out of the competition, now I got more advantages. You know, you're really pretty, I like you, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get out of you what I want, like, it's it's very very like I said he's a sponge he just takes and absorbs from people what he wants and has no regard for who they are uh, th- the vibe with McKean is different so it's almost like Jill- Jake's character is over humanity right and the Joker is sort of under humanity he operates at a, lo- at a layer of being dismissed and outcast and what that does is it, 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 it there's a break that takes place and Joaquin has doesn't want he, it's like he breaks and he's no longer wanting to abide by society's rules he wants to establish himself as the Joker and in this Jake's above humanity and that's where the break happens I, I would break it down that way I think to be a little bit different but similarities yes yeah, similarities I would say the isolated, angry, psychopathic, calculating person uh, that does things uh, that are you know horrific and scary. So, good question though. Giza, there was a clear subplot about consumer voyeurism. Did you feel that the film did a good job showing that at all levels, from Lou to the news outlets, right down to the we the TV watchers? Yeah, I do. I think this was present. It was there. It wasn't. It didn't beat you over the head. Um, when you watch District Nine, that'd be a great wild card pick. When you watch District Nine, there is clear social commentary about the way we treat people or or things if we think they're less than us. You know, they treated the aliens as second class citizens. It was clearly a lot of social commentary about the history of you know of of racial tension in the country and the way people have been treated over the years. You know, District Nine kind of beat you over the head with that social commentary. It's a little it's a little more uh, subtle in Nightcrawler. Your first indication, your first indication and your kind of nudge is when the guy says, if it bleeds, it leads. That's a very, very big umbrella statement, right? Well, if it bleeds, it leads. Why? Because we want to see it. And the networks want the viewership. And the people are out here filming it to make the money. So everybody's in on it. Everybody's in on it at that point. If it bleeds, it leads is this giant summary statement that springboards the whole movie's trajectory. It, number one, he realizes he can make money doing it, and number two, he focuses on, the, the, the obviously, the violent crime in suburbia. It had to be like that. That was where it really broke it down where, oh man, there was this, this gets really complex and really maybe even kind of touchy, where they essentially said, no one cares if someone dies in a poor part of town. Why? That's expected, right? 
that they, there was that commentary in the movie it was like nobody cares about that what they care about is is there a threat to my happy little suburban land that I live in could I be hurt here that fear they used people's fear remember when she was like in their ear and they were showing that crime that had taken place and they're talking about how the, the, the killers were still at large it's just so scary it's just they're really hammering home the fear and the uncertainty and the danger in suburban mindset and I do think that is very much a, uh, a a form of social commentary about number one how we w- the way that we are as consumers we we consume uh, I've talked about this before where we consume Britney Spears and Justin Bieber's albums and then we also consume them in a voyeuristic way when they have mental breakdowns or they get into a bad place in life we don't care we all consume it we watch it we, we we spectate and gossip and like oh look 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 at her look at her have a mental breakdown and then we toss them over our shoulder like a like a like a burger wrapper like well i'm done with this product person Whoop, and you throw it over your shoulder onto the next person that i'm going to consume to the breaking point and then i'll toss them over my shoulder as well so there there's a lot of layers to this that the movie uh, this is why i think it's so such a good movie I never want to be aware of what you're trying to do as a writer or a director. I I hate that, okay? We're obviously going to touch on this in Avengers Endgame, right? The girl power moment. It's immersion breaking. I know what the frick you're doing. It's a pandering stupid ploy, right? It's cheesy, you know? And in this movie... I never once felt like they were grinding that axe. There was there was no it was it wasn't preachy. There was no agenda. Was there there wasn't anything like that. It, it was just a movie that told a story about a really really psychopathic, you know, dissociative cold person who built a business doing something that is unbelievably common in local news and in news media uh, at large. So I. I don't know. I, I think that's a good story where there is a message. There is a bit of a subplot, but it's subtle enough and 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 organic enough that it doesn't feel forced uh, and it doesn't feel like you're they're just they're beating you over the head with it. Alex Alonzo with the next question. Do you think the new employees at the end of the movie will have the same fate as the first employee? Well, I don't think so because... The first employee only suffered fate because, what did he say? You took away my negotiating power. Now, what's what's in that statement? You, he basically said, you took, you took away from me something. So the, the shoe was on the other foot. This guy now stole, stole, right, in him, from him. You stole my negotiating power, and I can't have that. So, as long as they're good employees and they do their job... And they don't take from him. They don't steal from him. That's when they would be, they would be cast aside. Because again, to him, he doesn't like humans. He doesn't like people. They're only there to serve his aim and his purpose. The minute they would get in the way of that, they would be in a dangerous position. He got what he wanted. Well, but I think the watch shows up in the end to show you that he's still the same guy. He's still going to be a corner-cutting, just thief. And that would obviously lead to, you know, eventually I think he'd, he'd, he'd end up in jail. He'd do the wrong thing, film the wrong thing, do it in the wrong way. I, I feel like it would catch up to him. 
I don't feel like the ending is meant to make us think, oh, yeah, that's the end of him. He's going to be a good guy now, good business owner. It's like, oh, no, he has more influence and power now. Like, that that's actually really, really dangerous. He's now been sort of absorbed into the, like, he's now in the normal, the normalcy of the news media. So... King Arthur, do you think he was driven by his desire to ascend or more because he was into that kind of rawness in the world with the accidents and such? Yeah, I feel like they wanted us to think. I think this was like a subtle misdirection, a a form of misdirection. I kind of feel like they wanted us to think he was a psychopathic person that was obsessed with violence. But I think that was like a I think that was that was a that was a that was a looky loo. That's not what he was really obsessed with. He wasn't obsessed with the violence. He was obsessed with the art of filming it and having it be excellent because, again, he was a thief. He just absorbed everything around him. He wanted to use and steal those moments of death for his own profit. Just, just again, like beating up a guy and taking his watch. He wasn't, I, I'm telling you right now, that's a really good, clear indication if you were to re-watch it on a lot of his motivations. He is not going to beat that security guard up. He's just going to show him his license and be on his way, but he sees the watch and then he beats the tar out of him because he wants the watch. It wasn't about getting away. It was about stealing. And so I, I don't think he was into it. I think because he was cold and calculating and as he says later, he doesn't like people. He doesn't care about them. It, it was... Yeah, and I think Ham's got it. He got more pleasure out of negotiating than filming. Yeah, when he really flexed his business muscles, that's when he seemed to get the most excited. He was never, when he was filming the dead bodies, he was never emoting or giving us some sort of feedback that like, oh, this is so awesome. Oh my gosh, look at the blood. It was more about, no, no, no. I, I want to frame this. I'm going to move the body so it's framed really well. He wasn't like looking at the body with some sort of like fascination or infatuation. It was, no, you are a part of my art. I'm going to slide you over here, get a better shot. Boom. Because again, he would watch his own segments He was obsessed with how good it looked or how professional it looked. It was more about that. It was more about, I'm going to use these things, again, for material gain, the watch. I'm going to use these things for for financial gain. I'm going to use this person for physical gain. It's, It's all about... He, he saw everyone else as beneath him. They were merely there <clears throat> for his for his pleasure. So who is your favorite side character and why? Oh, I'm trying to think here. Um, I I don't know. I would probably go with his assistant just because that you needed if you really think about the cast it's like he was kind of the only one that was a bit of a conscience in the room he was the voice of reason um, you'll see similar things happen in Breaking Bad I'm not going to get into spoilers but there are characters that embody guilt or fear or concern or it was like he even when he wanted more money even when he thought okay well if you're going to do this I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more money from you even then there was a conflictedness there Jake's character there was a purity there was a pure this is what I'm going after nobody's getting in my way I don't care what happens to the people it was just pure the other guy was at least conflicted and I think though that that level of emotion um 
all of that I think is 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 really really good. Yeah. It was Bill Paxton? I thought he passed away before this movie came out or was this one of his last movies? I didn't realize that was him. I knew I knew it sounded like him, but I didn't think it was him. Um cuz he was, you know, he was all bearded and kind of shaggy-haired. Uh it didn't really look like him. Uh Rabble Rouser. Did you notice similarities between hit Jake's character and Walter White? They both seem willing to do anything to accomplish their goals and can be manipulative. Well, we're obviously going to get the, into this in Breaking Bad. Tomorrow's episode is Breaking Bad. So I don't want to bite off future episodes or commentary on Breaking Bad. But I will say Walter White um, is more about trans- transformation. And Nightcrawler is more about um, I don't even know what I would call it it's not assimilation it's uh, I don't know it's more about domination like he's more about dominating like he's using he's 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 disconnected he's cold and he's calculated there's never any conflict in him there's not even a hint of purity like or goodness about like why he's doing something um because his, his assistant's like, oh, you can't film him. He's one of us. He moves the body. You know, he does all these different things. It takes a while for Walter White to, to change from the guy that you see in the first couple of episodes. I don't want to get in any kind of spoiler territory. I think if you're familiar with Breaking Bad, like, you, you know that, like, Walter White's going to get pretty deep into the thick of it. But not, in this movie, he doesn't transform. I think that's why the watch is so important. You see the watch at the beginning when he's driving away, and you see the watch at the end. Same guy, same outlook on life. I'm gonna steal. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be a thief in order to to survive. Um, and there's no difference between him and the beginning at the end. The only difference is, is he's been successful. There's a huge difference between Walter White season one and the end. There's a huge difference. I don't actually think there's any transformation in his character at all. He only grows in his efficiency and his power. He doesn't change as a character or a person. Ham sandwich. Have you ever experienced a car wreck in person? If too personal, no need to respond. Uh, we got bumped once when I was a kid. And it was like really scary. Like it seemed really loud. And then I totaled my car like 17 days after getting it or something. It was a hand-me-down car from my older brother. I was taking my friend home from school and I wasn't supposed to. I hit a patch of like gravelly ice on a turn. I was going too fast. Shot me out of my lane. I lost control of the car. I overcorrected and then I got hit by a big F-150 truck. It almost hit me head on. It ripped my door off, shattered the windows, spun my car around. I ended up in a front yard. Uh, As I went into this guy's front yard, my car chopped the tree down like a little tree and I like perfectly parallel parked between two giant trees. Um, And me and my friend were totally fine. It was wild. It was wild. It was was intense. It was obviously a huge bummer. I lost my car about as soon as I got it. My parents were very, very... uh, glad that I was okay but they were obviously ticked at me that's why you're not supposed to give your friends rides uh, <laughs> you just school and home school and home and uh, I compromised I made a bad decision and I, I, I paid the consequences so it was a bit of a bummer but good Q&A today the Q&A's on this on this show is a little, are they're a little bit slower uh, about the same length as the review today review was like 13 minutes this is close to 20 totally fine I don't know if anybody's going to do any VIP call-ins so if you're listening to this there may or may not be VIP call-ins that's sort of up in the air uh, with these episodes 
it's dependent upon uh, enough people being here. But as always, if you want to watch these shows, go to repeattheaterlive.com to watch them live uh, and support there, or you can go to repeattheater.com to become a paying patron. The show is Monday through Thursday on three p uh, around three p.m. Eastern in the afternoon, and. Uh, it's a great, great way to discuss movies and stuff. And also, if you're a tier one member, uh, get into the, disc- the Discord. We have a Discord set up for watch parties that we're doing every night. So we're going to be doing watch parties for Hot Fuzz and all the other movies and shows that we will be discussing on Repeat Theater. So thanks so much for listening or watching in all the other locations. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This is going to be a VIP call-in session after the Nightcrawler movie review that we did. This is basically a podcast and a live channel where we're doing like a book club for movies and TV shows where we're working through Marvel Cinematic Universe or this was a Wild Card Wednesday. Somebody actually picked this movie for us to watch. Uh, the next Wild Card Wednesday is going to be Hot uh, Fuzz. So if you want to watch this, go to repeattheaterlive.com. Monday through Thursday, we do these episodes around 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, if you want to become a paying member and join maybe a VIP call-in session or Q&A, go to repeattheater.com. So Repeat Theater Live takes you to the YouTube channel, but repeattheater.com will take you to the Patreon. We're trying something a little different. We did a three- or four-person roundtable call-in for Marvel. We didn't actually have enough people uh, to do a Stranger Things. Today we have one person that wanted to call in. I thought, you know what, if you're VIP, I want to give you that value. Let's bat the ball around here and discuss the movie uh, just as an experiment. Brand new channel first week, so we're kind of we're kind of trying some things out. So Giza is with me on the call right now. Wanted to talk about some things in the movie. So you said you had some points. Go ahead. What did you uh, What did you want to talk about? Uh, oh, thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, I guess just starting probably with just the opening. I mean, uh, this particular film, Waterfall, I hadn't seen before. And um, yeah, I was actually quite surprised at sort of how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was like sort of my character-driven roles, and again, Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in this was sort of especially sort of mesmerising. Uh, certainly, I agree with you on the points of how he carried himself throughout the film. Um, but I guess to start off, my first thing, um, I, the actual way the film itself was shot, sort of the opening sort of montage sequence, it had all the various scenes from LA. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was very sort of deliberately done in the fact that you had the very sort of tight shots on different sort of landmarks, whether it be restaurants, bus stations, etc. Um, but just almost just a sliver of the night sky above it, mm-hmm. almost acting like like a canopy over the city. Obviously, the majority of the film does occur at night, and it, for me, just kind of gave it almost an oppressive feel, like a canopy tightly covering the city, it created a bit of a, almost claustrophobia. In the film, mm-hmm. which I think definitely helped in, uh, increase the intensity sort of a lot of the scenes, so I thought that was something that was quite good, and so they sort of covered it throughout as well. Um, I, I I like that observation because I didn't I didn't actually realize that yes, all the shots in the beginning are are at night, almost they're setting the stage. Like this is the city, everything's happening at night, almost nothing. I don't know if there's any. Oh no, there's the daytime there's where they like follow. There's yeah. a couple, yeah. I, I liked how everything seems so clean and nice when you were zoomed out and then like the movie sort of zooms in on the real mm. things that happen in the city like all these skyline shots are so clean and everything's so pristine and then we're immediately thrust into a violent altercation where he steals a watch it's like immediately yeah. devaluing another person just to take their watch from them yeah so I mean sort of going on Jake's character uh, obviously Lou himself 
Um, but again, I say brilliant performance from him. But sort of from the off, the way he sort of communicated with people, as you said, it's sort of very unnatural. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of thinking about it in my mind as to seem very robotic. And I was trying to find the right way and sort of came to me that the way he interacts with people, it's, you know, in computer games where as a character you're talking to NPC mm-hmm. and occasionally you'll get a option for several kind responses. And the way he talked to people, it's almost like he was going through a different kind response. So whether it's a, you get an empathic, sort of empathetic response, aggressive mm-hmm. response or thoughtful response. And the way he spoke to people, it's like in his mind, was going through whichever response he felt was the most um i guess useful for his particular situation and that's it. so it's not like he ever said anything that he really felt it's just that what could be the most the best thing i can say in this particular situation to, to help me and what yeah. i like oh sorry i was gonna say i like that because that goes really in line with everything he does and has is stolen even his language and his terminology and stuff it's almost stolen and borrowed from corporate management guides and books and videos and seminars it, it, it like you're saying it's almost it's, like it's disconnected from him it's just an it's just a response that's that's in there like when he tells the guy you're doing a great job you've really improved but if you ever get gas on my car again it's like yeah. it's 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 there's this automatic it's language that's borrowed from the corporate world, but then at the end, there's this thread of, oh my gosh, this guy's crazy, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, and what I've found, I, this is maybe where I slightly differ with you in regards to the watch thing. He almost levels up throughout the, the film. As I said, he's sort of very intuitive. I think you said he was like a sponge. Mm-hmm. He definitely was. But if you actually look at the success of his different interactions, it sort of grows steadily throughout the film until sort of the end. So the first one, security guard from my point of view i thought he almost tried two responses they were not going to work he obviously didn't want to give his secu- um idea over and so he just i think he right definitely saw the watch he just assaulted the guy because that was almost his almost only only escape route hmm. if you then move up to where he goes to the, the scrapyard and he's trying to negotiate with the manager there again he's doing things trying to go through different responses doesn't manage to get the obviously a, a compromise deal doesn't get the job though uh, and again it sort of walks off and then the same thing when after he stole the bike and he's trying to sell the bike as well and again he's it's the same he has all these emotions over his face mm. but none of them are real it's like none of his emotions actually touch his eyes so the, the, it's almost like he's wearing a mask the whole time that sort of half smile he always seems to have yeah uh, when he's speaking, which, which goes to natural, I said sort of very few times during the film that it slips off. Um, I think Agent Atwood mentioned obviously the mirror scene, um, but it slips off. And I think when he, was, I also found when he was actually editing the videos he was doing, mm-hmm. he sort of seemed, really, really seemed into it. Again, just purely just for the art as well. And then maybe I think probably more chilling one for me was when he went after the the van crash uh, with the other. Nightcrawler, Bill Paxton's character, mm-hmm. um, and obviously after he did that, I think one thing I sort of didn't pick up the first time I watched, actually I did watch it sort of twice, um, is that there was apparently it was like another crime, sort of more serious crime that was happening in another part of the city. But when he heard about the van crash, he knew oh. it was Bill Paxton, and he went to it, and it's just as he's filming him, and Bill looks at him, and he knows in that minute mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that Jake. Jake's the reason why his van crashed. 
obviously after he offered him the sort to join him and then obviously Jake missed out on the uh the plane crash, I believe, wasn't it? And then he got dressing down from Rainy Russo's character. Cause I think that was just after he'd made the first negotiation with her. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't pick up on that. That's a good observation that he did. He valued more in that situation the he really wanted to establish the dominance and the power to like, I got this guy and he, he sacrificed some of the, you know, some of the, Oh, I could go get this great plane shot. And, 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 you know, he, like you said, he got kind of dressed down. I, I like how you're saying like he leveled up cause he did improve throughout yeah. the movie. He, he got better at getting what he wanted. And I exactly. wonder if it's intelligent. It, it was very, uh, uh, intentional about how you said nothing touches his eyes like the emotions don't touch his eyes like that's really true he's almost bug-eyed you know throughout the whole thing which you know nightcrawler is a worm it's a bug it's you know he's almost yeah it's 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 it gives more of that eerie nocturnal nighttime weirdo feels like he's almost bug-eyed like he doesn't ever and when he does show the emotion it's super super rare when it's genuine you know when he breaks the mirror yeah and again, sort of looking at the interactions he has, I thought it was interesting that obviously when he's first at the restaurant with sort of Ren Roos's character, and the way he kind of lays his, I guess his negotiation on the deal is very thoughtful. He's done all his research, sort of knows the situation that the station's in, her own personal situation as well. He kind of, the way he said flirtationship, I think was the word he used when he was talking, which was such a weird word. I don't think I've ever seen anyone use words like that before. Yeah. Like, I would just have made it up. To, it just sounds so official. Mm-hmm. I'm not even flirting, but... Um, yeah, and the way he did it was very sort of thoughtful, planned out. Um, but again, it was earlier on, as he's still learning about the business, you know, he's not quite there yet. And I thought there's a contrast with the, the second time when he comes back with the, the home invasion footage and he sort of really lays it down on her. At that point, he's far more established. There's people who sort of know of him sort of outside of herself as well now. He's more established and he's more confident in himself, which is why, like I said, in that Rolodex of canned options, he went for the, the aggressive uh, negotiation stance as opposed to the, uh, I guess, more thoughtful, measured one that you did in the first place. Mm-hmm. And even her reaction as well. Obviously, the first time she was almost disgusted, but then... He was correcting her uh, position, so she kind of went along with it. But the second time, she almost comes first. She's like into it. In, in all fairness, I like, took control. I remember people seeing saying that in the chat of the watch party that like she they felt like she got kind of turned on, and I was like, yeah. I wasn't. I think I looked down and I was writing, and I missed that. And so the fact that you're saying it, I think, pretty much confirms they did. They wanted to convey that she was finding his his power and control maybe even attractive at that point that he yeah. had he had become he had become more than just like a like a skeezy nightcrawler he's now a a, a person of power and, and intelligence you know yeah exactly and then I suppose going to the subplot so I mentioned my question about the the, the voyeurism aspect yeah. um, and I guess it's actually interesting how quickly he sort of caught on to it I mean obviously the, you know Bill Paxton carry on if it please it leads Mm-hmm. I think then when you're speaking to her as well, she said that basically all should be the, the news anchor should be a woman screaming, running down the street screaming with a throat cut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember her saying that. Yep. I was saying that. And it's almost like he's taking that on. And then, as I said, 
again, showing the way he levels up, he starts off slow. I mean, when he actually starts some uh, job itself, obviously gets too close to the one thing and him and the other guy gets kicked out. Yeah, I did like the way he, he followed the guy and he was listening and he got mm-hmm. instantly a, a, an idea of the kind of prices they could charge straight of all. Um, also the name of the actual use outlet he was using as well. Um, and then just again, how he leveled up. So the, the shooting at a house where he went to the neighbor's house and snuck in and rearranged the pictures on the fridge. Obviously, his understanding that would make it for a better shot. Yep. Seeing sort of the family there, and then looking at them through the window. And then obviously that progressed to the car crash where he moved the body. Mm-hmm. And then obviously to the home invasion as well. And every time, as I say, he's getting clever, he's leveling up. He's adding more sort of canned responses as well. Um, so again, yeah, again, sort of kudos to Jake for sort of being able to portray that. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I have two more sort of just sort of, I guess, minor observations of just little things I found amusing. Okay. Um, like the negotiation he did with the Rizami's character for the raise. Mm-hmm. It's just that, that just it was sort of one of the sort of funniest scenes. So obviously he's trying to think of a number that isn't too high that will get shut down, but it's high enough that it makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me of a scene from uh, Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks um, and his son where it's almost a similar conversation. Uh, I just like the way sort of the, the contrast in that one where after he's, the negotiation has been done and the Redarb says, can I got more? And he's like, absolutely. And it just kind of drives on sort of thinking yeah. he won. Whereas for the, in the Road to Perdition version, uh, Tom Hanks, same question asked, and Tom Hanks is like, you'll never know. Uh, <laughs> sort of giving him, like, almost like his first, first lesson in sort of being a gangster in that particular film. And then also, uh, the second thing I noticed is at the end, after he's had the final um, interview with the police, mm-hmm. which again I felt was, again, in that whole section of him sort of leveling up in the way he interacts with people and how he sort of walked out. Again, just that ending, the way he kind of stops sort of has a little look and then focuses on his shoes and sort of spoiler alert if anyone has the usual suspects he just stopped yeah. the same that same ending way Kaiser Soze sort of walks off you know and it is free and I, I remember thinking he sort of walks off has a little smile crosses the road mm-hmm. I'm thinking did, did that guy just win it's like that was all I thought that came from my head I think the bad guy's actually just won because mm-hmm. he got away and then obviously you know he sees then levelling up and He's then got the, the two vans, three interns. Obviously, he's managed to get away without being having to pay them. So again, yeah. he's learned from the first uh, time of his Ahmed. Uh, and I suppose, I guess, the dramatic irony where he says, I'll never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't. And it's like, well, we already know the upper limits of his behavior patterns. Hmm. That's not particularly comforting. <laughs> obviously, Leila just like, all bright-eyed, just like, yay, I can't wait for a new job. And it's like, you have no idea what they're in for. Right, like that. Like I said, it's going to get worse more than likely. Yeah, right? it's going to get worse because this, you know, this guy's going to ask he's, you to do stuff. He's and then if it, yeah, and if they don't want to do it, then they're then they're going to be they're going to be on the outs. Like if they stand between him and his business growth, mm. then they're done. You know, they're they'll be expendable. Just like I said, he let that guy die, and he gave him business reasons yeah. as he's dying, and the breath is going out, yeah. and he gives him business reasons. It's just, yeah, mm. that's. That's a foreboding ending. It's not a good ending. It's like no, he's gonna yeah. ask, he's gonna ask these people to compromise. They're all young, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed, and they're gonna get asked okay. to do things that are terrible. 
Yeah. But then, and after that, just I guess the subtext on the boy uh, resistance style, because there was that one guy who worked for Ren Russo who seemed to try to be the voice of reason, saying it's very ethical. He got shut down at every every point. It's just all about the ratings. Um, yeah. Even say that the, the the police chase again, sort of looking at that. The first thing I thought of this very OJ like. And I'm sort of old enough to remember the, the OJ, and that, mm-hmm, I mean, that was all mm-hmm. over the news when that happens. Like, and even with the way he's filming the home invasion, where he actually goes in, and it's like he almost knows what she's going to want from him. The way he pans the body, looks at the shotgun, even when he comes to the crib, and he doesn't wait until just to get to the end, so he actually goes over to see the crib's empty. But he's deliberately building suspense because mm-hmm. he knew that's what the station would want, that's what would sell. Yeah, and he's right because I was thinking, if that was the news report and I sort of clicked that, I'd, I'd probably glue to the screen myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, watching it and, and again, it's just like I said the question I asked that that level of voyeurism, sort of how it feeds from us as the viewer, sort of right through. And but again, yeah, I thought it was subtly done. They didn't sort of, as you said, didn't bang us over the head with it, but it yeah. was definitely there to sort of see. But yeah, as I said, all in all, really, really good film. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Those are some observations I didn't pick up on. Sounds good, dude. I appreciate it. That's cool. Cool. No, I'm glad you uh, have me on. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I guess we could do this. Obviously, if somebody has enough, uh, you know, points and input. I mean, we made it to six, yeah. seven, seventeen minutes. So yeah, this is oh, wow, uh, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. I, I, I like hearing different perspectives on movies. Like this is what we do in the in the chat. This is why I launched the show. Mm. We would we would debate movies and TV shows, you know, to the end of time some days. Uh, to the point that like Q and A and other things would get pushed back. So I'm like, well, let's give us a yeah. format to do it all the time. So, um, appreciate you calling in, dude. Thank you so much. Right, let's go. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You know, I'll see you for Captain Marvel. Yeah. Oh, that'll be a good one. Um, oh, yeah. If you guys are listening to this and you're like, oh, that was cool. I'd love to do that. Go to repeattheater.com, pick VIP. If you're already a patron from like my other channel, you can do a combo uh, Patreon and get the VIP. You can call in. We can have good discussions about the shows or movies. VIPs also get a chance to pick a movie. I mean, this is a, this was picked by a VIP. This is a uh, Nightcrawler was a wildcard pick. So uh, go to repeattheaterlive.com to watch live, subscribe to the YouTube, or you can go to repeattheater.com to become a patron VIP or take part in the call-ins. If you're listening or watching in any of the other locations, locations where I put my content, please like, share, and subscribe.